Good evening. Time being 7 o'clock. I call the January 17th, 2024 meeting of the Franklin Town Council to order. Please pause for a moment of silence. Please stand for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Announcements from the chair. All citizens are now welcome to attend public board and committee meetings in person. Meetings are live streamed by Franklin TV and shown on Comcast Channel 9 and Verizon Channel 29. In an effort to maximize citizen engagement opportunities, citizens will be able to continue to participate remotely via phone or you may click the Zoom link that is on the posted agenda on the town's website. The phone number is 929-205-6099 and enter the meeting ID, which is 895-0355-6472. Then you need to hit the pound sign. Once again, Meeting ID is 895-0355-6472 pounds. If residents are just interested in watching the meeting, it will also be live streamed by Franklin TV. Uh, upcoming events, uh, Town Council office hours will be held tomorrow morning, January 18th from 8.30 to 9.30 at the Senior Center. Next item on the agenda, citizen, uh, citizens' comments. Citizens are welcome to express their views for up to three minutes on a matter that is not on the agenda. The council will not engage in a dialogue or comment on a matter raised during citizens' comments. The town council will give remarks appropriate consideration and may ask the town administrator to review the matter. Is there anyone in council chambers that would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda? Sue, just name and address, please. Sue Cass, 146 Long Hill Road. Um, I'm here tonight to speak about the dog park and the fact that Gino D'Onofrio, who has been the chair of that committee for a very long time, has just retired. And we would like to bring that to the town's attention. I think that lots of people don't realize what a treasure the dog park is or what a treasure he has been. Um, he lives in Woonsocket, and twice a day, every day, regardless of the weather, he's up here making sure there are bags in the bag holders and that the place has been raked clean. And he's done this just because he cares about the dogs. So we'd like to be sure the town knows it, and if anything could be done to acknowledge it, that would be mm -hmm. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, Thank you, Sue. Thank you. Thank you, Sue. <clears throat> is there anyone else? Is there anyone else in council chambers that would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda, other than town clerk? Oh, the funny guy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Chair. <laughs> the council. Can you guess what I'm here to talk about? I can't even. Dog licensing. Well, all 
I can't even believe, yeah, election workers too, do you know anyone? Um, I can't even believe it. Uh, it's going to be a crazy year. And yes, I did opt to get the census out really early, knowing that um, the year is just going to be insane. So thank you for sending your census in. Please don't forget, it is not the year to forget, okay? I don't want you standing in line to find out that you've been made inactive and you're going to have to come and see me. I'm going to bring you back, and I'm not going to cut the line. You're going to have to wait in line. So submit those census, okay? Um, dog license, yes, we're getting a lot of dog licenses, too, along with the census. And um, we definitely are in need of election workers. So please, um, we did send out an SOS, and we've got a number of people um, that have responded, and I thank you very much but we are still in need of election workers. Not just to work the polls, but the um, work that goes into getting the ballots out, um, opening the ballots, depositing the ballots, everything that goes along with an election. So, we do have early voting again this year for all three elections. I will be here quite often. Mr. Mercer, you'll get sick of seeing me. <laughs> but um, tonight, <laughs> I'm here to speak of the in-person early voting for the presidential primary, which is on March 5th. Okay, and everybody knows here in Franklin we vote from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. Thank you, Debbie Pellegrini. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in-person early voting starts February 24th. Yes, that's a Saturday. We'll be up at Franklin High School um, from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. Sunday is a day of rest will be here um, at the municipal building just doing work to catch up. And uh, Monday, February 26th, back at it at the high school from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. Tuesday, the 27th, again, 9 to 3. Wednesday, we'll be up at the high school from 9 to 5. And then again, Thursday, 9 to 3. And the last day for in-person early voting will be March 1st, Friday, from 9 to 12. Now, not only are we having early voting up at the high school, but you can come here as well into my office during regular business hours and vote here as well. Um, I did reach out to Gatra. I sent them an email, Kobe, and I have asked them if they may be interested in maybe um, having people taken up to the high school on election day to vote. Um, I just sent them an email, so I'm sure they'll respond, but any help that I can get would be greatly, did you see me? great, I did not, but I will, I will, greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Um, and I'm sure the residents and voters will appreciate that as well. Um, so you will be, all registered voters will be receiving that lovely card from the state, okay? So remember, if you are an unenrolled, People know unenrolled as the old independent. It's called unenrolled now. This is a presidential primary. All primaries, you have to declare a party. So whatever ballot that you want, um, whether that's a Democratic, a Republican, or a Libertarian, do not send that card into us without checking off one of the parties if you're unenrolled. 
If you are enrolled in a party, you'll get that party's ballot. But I need to know what ballot to send you if you're an unenrolled voter, okay? Um, if you've already applied for a ballot, there is no need to fill out that card. Totally disregard the card. Don't send it in. Don't send in the card. Um, it's just more work. We will catch it, but it's more work. Um, and if you know that you've sent in the card, there's no need to send in another request, okay? Um, it just basically confuses the process. Because if you've already requested a ballot, you're on the absentee list. All of the um, cards that the state are sending are vote by mail. So two separate things. And you would think that those two separate databases would talk to each other, but they don't. So if you complete one, don't complete the other. Um, collection workers, please, please, if you have any friends, have them call me. Um, they can volunteer, they can be paid. You have friends. Everybody's got friends. Everybody's got that one person. Not sitting at home. Students, yes, I reach out to Mr. Layton. Um, students can also help us out, and Mr. Layton up at the high school has sent down a couple of students to help us in the past, and I am going to reach out to him, especially for the, um, and you know, kids love doing this, um, for the advanced opening, the advanced deposit, checking people in. It's fun. Um, so come and see me. And we'll get you on the list, okay? Um, I tried Dean College as well. Dean College, great idea, Mr. Mercer. See, not just a pretty face. <laughs> I would sign anything that they needed. Yeah, they could have community hours, absolutely. They can help out in the office here because, you know, we're going to have the early voting up to the high school. We're going to do it here too. So um, I'll be here with a couple of volunteers, um, senior tax work off people as well. So I might know a ninth grader I might volunteer. Love it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <laughs> that's all I have. I thank you very much and you will see me again. Have a wonderful night. We will look forward. Thank you. Thank you, Nancy. Is there anyone else in council chambers that would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda? Okay, is there anyone out there in Zoom land that would like to speak on an item not on tonight's agenda? I don't see anybody. Don't see anybody. Good. Okay, we will move on. The next item on the agenda is approval of the minutes. I would entertain a motion to approve the minutes from December 20th, 2023. So moved, second. Motion and second. Additions, deletions. Councilor Cormier Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, in the minutes on, I believe it's page three, about halfway down where my name is mentioned under the bullet talking to Scott from the YMCA. It says audience member did not identify himself and then it lists a bunch of things that that person said that was actually Scott from the Y giving that report. So can we make that change? Sure. Okay, with the maker of the motion. Yeah. Second. Second. Okay, any other additions, deletions? Seeing then the vote will come on the motion as amended or as adjusted. 
All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. I'd entertain a motion to approve the minutes from January 3rd, 2024. So moved. Second. Motion and second. Questions, additions, deletions. <coughs> Seeing none, the vote will come on the motion to approve the minutes from January 3rd, 2024. All those in favor signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion counts. Okay, next item on the agenda is uh, proclamations and recognitions, and we do have one this evening. We have a proclamation for Fish of Franklin, and I know there are a few people from the Fish organization. And, uh, excuse me, Terry Robbins, I'll ask you to come forward and bear with me. Take me an extra minute to get there. No <laughs> need. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> okay, uh, Town of Franklin, a proclamation honoring Fish of Franklin on the occasion of their 50th anniversary. Whereas established in 1973, Fish of Franklin, Inc. is a nonprofit organization of volunteers who give selflessly of their time and resources by providing free transportation to medical appointments to Franklin residents who have no other means of transportation. And whereas Fish of Franklin was started by a group of compassionate citizens led by Dottie Goddard who identified an unmet need faced by many Franklin residents and committed themselves to fixing it. They raised funds and recruited volunteers, and in the 50 years that have passed since its inception, Fisher Franklin has provided more than 11,000 rides to medical appointments for Franklin residents in need of assistance. And whereas on October 18, 2023, Fisher Franklin celebrated 50 years of dedicated service to the Franklin community thanks to the great efforts of many people, including their board of directors, steering committees, the local organizations, churches, and businesses that have offered financial support, and most importantly, thanks to the incredible volunteers who have devoted their time and personal resources to providing this essential service to the community. And whereas on the occasion of their 50th anniversary, the Franklin Town Council and the Franklin community extend our sincere appreciation and gratitude to Fish of Franklin. Now therefore be it known that Fish of Franklin is hereby commended and recognized by the Town Council of the Town of Franklin on 50 years of exceptional community service. Signed, Thomas D. Mercer, Chairman, Franklin Town Council. Congratulations and thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and the uh, Council. Um, 
for recognizing and honoring Fisher Franklin for our 50 years, years of serving the Franklin community. I'd like to um, uh, mention uh, Barbara Steele, who's here with us. I'm the incoming president. She's been the president for the past 12 years and actually was president uh, on the 50th anniversary. So thank you, Barbara, for everything you've done. And we have two other members of our steering committee, Nancy Rappa and Joanne Solomon, here tonight also. Over the years, the 50 years, we've we received in those 50 years about 18,000 calls. And we were able to provide transportation, to, as uh, Chairman Mercer said, to 11,000 people over, the, over the, uh, that time. Um, not only do we do it free of charge, but our volunteers use their own cars and their own gas. They don't get reimbursed for it. And um, as I said, this is a, um, something they do from their heart for the community. Um, and um, I'd also like to publicly thank all of the volunteers. We've had hundreds of volunteers over the past 50 years and uh, who've served in many capacities, transportation, telephone volunteers, board, steering committee, and I'd like to thank all of them publicly. Uh, one last thing for any of you who are watching and any of you who are here in the room um, who would like to hear more about our volunteer opportunities, please call 508-528-2121 and, um, uh, and leave a message with your name and we'll get back to you uh, very quickly and tell you about our volunteer opportunities. And again, thank you very much. Thank you, Karen. Okay, moving on. Uh, appointments, we have none scheduled this evening, no public hearing, no license transaction. Presentations and discussions. We do have a couple, and the first one is the food pantry and Dana Powderly, the executive director. Thank you very Welcome much. Back. You've been here before. I have been. I like this side. Yeah. <laughs> 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 we miss you on this side. I'm going to this is y'all's computer. So if I hit slideshow Amy's that's support's coming. Text. Go right <laughs> to you. <clears throat> this one, okay. Yeah. Perfect. Yep. Well, thank you very, very much, um, Mr. Chairman, Town Council, Town Administrator's Office for squeezing us in. You have quite a busy year ahead of you, and I know your agendas are very full, so we are um, humbled to be able to come here today and give you an update of what we are seeing. Um, I want to start with a little bit of a thank you and we'll go through who we are and what we do for folks who maybe don't know and give you an update on trends. Um, but it is important to start with just a huge thank you. Um, this has been a really important year for us as an organization, but I think for the community as a whole. And we wouldn't have accomplished what we have accomplished to date without um, 30 years of staff, volunteer, board of directors, uh, corporate donors, individual donors, um, our state delegation, state grants, um, Representative Roy, especially individual donors, 
um, all who have made sort of this journey possible and um, specifically moving into the new space that this town um, in general has said um, it's really important to take food insecurity literally out of a basement and put it where folks um, can be served in the most humane and most dignified manner possible and that's that's what's happening and that's what you'll hear tonight it's it's been um, a success um, special thanks to the town council um, also for your recent um, in the town administration for your recent vote to um, appropriate hopefully um, $100,000 of county ARPA monies to the work um, of the folks we are seeing who really have been dealt a hard hand of the after effects of COVID and um, I do want to Mr. Chairman if I can specifically recognize the town administrators office Jamie, Amy, uh, the building commissioner, uh, the assessor's office, police, the schools, the social, uh, the senior center, all of these folks and many, many more have supported us in so many ways, helping us take care of the most vulnerable in our community. So I would be remiss if every day um, one of you is helping us do our job as best as we can. So. The partnership and collaboration continues to grow and I'm, I'm very excited about that. So for those who don't know um, who the Franklin Food Pantry is, just really quickly, this is our mission. Um, you can't really see um, the writing up there. Those are our core values. They are integrity, stewardship, collaboration, empowerment, service, and respect. Those are what drive us. Um, folks might be interested to know that we are a staff of nine about half are part-time, half are full-time. Um, really the engine that makes things run, similar to organizations like FISH, are our volunteers. We have 100 volunteers in there every week. We have 200 active volunteers, and that's what gets that job done. Um, we have 11 board members, fantastic volunteers for our organization. And I put up the refrigerated box truck up here because that, along with the building, really differentiates us uh, regionally. There's not a lot of organizations that have that, and that really allows us to take advantage of many of the partnerships and collaborations um, that we've been building over the years to procure the healthiest food we can at the cheapest rate we can when it's available. Um, and we do try to um, use that to help regional partners as well. These are a little, um, a few graphics that kind of illustrate what you would be seeing. I should say these are fiscal um, 23 numbers. So that was our year ending June 30th of 2023. Um, and the takeaway for this is you'll notice that every arrow is trending up. So sort of no matter how you cut it, we are seeing growth um, in our services. And to put sort of a real um, fine point on it, the latest greater Boston Food Bank survey of food insecurity um, found that one in three adults and one in three children face food insecurity. So if you're looking at, um, if I may, the town council here, that means a third of you, three of you, don't really know, reliably know, that you're gonna have access to the food you need to live your life fully and in a healthy way. That means go to work and perform well. That means kids at school able to focus. So it's it's a really high number. That's the Massachusetts number. And um, Franklin is not immune to that. 
So again, these are some trends that we are seeing. We're here we see bags distributed, household served, and people served, and this compares fiscal year 22 to fiscal year 23. And in a minute, I'll even talk about the most recent six months. Um, but again, what you're seeing is an incredible amount of growth. And um, when we do our planning, this is what we saw on the future um, before the pandemic hit. It was on the horizon. And then, of course, with the pandemic, um, what we're seeing is all those expansion of public assistance programs that kept people afloat and actually brought food insecurity down to record low levels have now um, 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 been ended and thus we're seeing those numbers climb back up and you put inflation in there and then the long-term effects of COVID. Uh, one story I will tell of, of a neighbor who came in, she talked about becoming disabled because she had had knee replacement surgery and she had knee replacement surgery about two weeks before COVID hit. And you can imagine that if suddenly COVID hits and you don't have access to medical care or physical therapy, her recovery was stalled and she never regained the type of um, mobility that she would have had had that not happened. That's just bad luck. And we hear a lot of those stories. Um, so you put all those factors together and that's why this trajectory is growing. And that really drove the strategic decision of the organization five, eight years ago to look for a new space that could hold higher numbers and serve people in a more intentional and dignified way. This slide really looks at the last six months. Um, we moved into our new building in late May and immediately saw, as you can see from this um, curve, a huge spike in the number. Part of that is that we just were able to serve more people. We had a much smaller space. We were confined by that um, geography and that footprint of that building. So we can just move more people through that building in any given time. Um, but it really also has a lot to do with where the building is located and how dignified and intentionally designed it, it, it is. So again, if I could share a story, I always feel like stories tell a picture better than numbers. Um, the other day there was a young mother in there with her um, child who I would say was four or five, just preschool age. And the child had her little baby fake baby Bjorn on her front and her little baby doll and she was just um, walking through the aisles like she would any grocery store. And I had a little bit of a conversation with the neighbor and the bottom line is it is hard to ask for help in any situation and it's very hard to walk into any pantry and say I feel like I could use assistance. It takes a lot of bravery and um, to do that in an environment with a child where you're trying to protect them from um, sort of the ups and downs of life takes an even higher level of bravery. And when you can bring a child into a setting where they don't know any different and they feel like they are just shopping and they have a level of security um, that is not disrupted, that's a gift. And so when I go back to the thank yous of this community for supporting this adventure, that's what you're doing. Um, you are allowing children to experiencing, experience a childhood maybe free of, of some of the concerns that a four-year-old really shouldn't have on their shoulders. 
and you're allowing parents to take the brave action to access the resources they need to keep their family whole. So um, those, those type of stories happen every day and if anyone in this room or anyone watching would like to see the inside of this magical place, we do have um, public tours that are on our website and you can sign up. They're, every, um, they're once a month on Wednesday evenings um, and we would love to share more of our story. Um, but your support um, individually and as a whole has helped us meet this incredible need. How to help. Always have to have an ask at the end, right? Oh. So there are many ways to help. I would say um, one of the, the, the easiest ways for us to take um, your goodwill and effect change is through monetary donations. And our GEM program is the ability to sign up as a monthly donor. And we have donors that do that at $10 a month. And we have donors that do that at a couple of hundred dollars a month. And you can be an individual, you could be a corporation. Um, that allows us to have a steady stream of income that's predictable. Uh, we do not have, um, I guess it doesn't go without saying, so I will say it, we do not charge for any of our services to anyone at any time. So all of uh, the money it takes to make this operation run is through the goodwill of our community and the support that you all have given us. Um, another way is tangible. And I sort of like this one, we have an Amazon wish list on our website. So sometimes folks really um, have something passionate for them. Maybe they love giving um, snacks to children. That's what they really want to target. So you can choose what you want to give, but you don't actually have to go out and purchase it. So you choose on the Amazon wish list, it gets sent to us, we pick it up. And that is always adapted to uh, reflect what is our biggest need at the time. So it changes over time and you can be assured that what's on that list is going right into the hands of the client because it's, it's real time really adjusted. Again, touring the pantry, I mentioned this, we love to have people in the building. Once you come inside the building, I think it really speaks to you and you will see um, what you're doing for uh, the folks in our community. And you can always organize a food drive. This is a great opportunity for groups to get involved. Sometimes we've heard about book clubs wanting to do this. You think of sports teams who do this. That's a typical way corporations sometimes have um, sort of uh, competitions between their departments to see who can do what. Um, there's a ton of information on their website, but you can always, always, always call me, email me, and I'd be happy to answer questions or um, get you to the right person. Uh, that was a lot. I know sometimes these meetings can run into the wee hours, so <laughs> I want to be respectful of everyone's time, but I also would be happy to answer any questions um, that anyone may have. Thank you, Tina. Questions or comments from the council? Please. Jane, thank you for that presentation. <clears throat> I was going to second the uh, I visited last year at an open house. It's very, the I thought to seem like a like this regular supermarket. Thank you. Now, uh, are the donations keeping up with the increase? We have been very um, fortunate that we really try to give a lot of attention to um, the folks who support us. We do our best to touch everyone, handwritten notes, let people see the impact of what they have contributed to. So we have been fortunate that our revenue is growing. 
but our expenses are as well. So it, it has been um, an exercise in creative management to procure the amount of food we need to keep up with that demand. Um, we are, we're at about 270,000 pounds of food out the door um, in the first six months. We're sort of doubling the amount of pounds we do um, every month, and that's with the same amount of people, the same amount of volunteers, same amount of staff. So um, we get creative, um, but we, um, you know, we're applying for grants, grant funding, as you may know just from, from your um, work, is um, drying up because folks are feeling inflation, so the foundations are, are a little constrained. They have a record number of applicants and a lower funding pool. So. Um, in answer to your question, we are an incredibly solid financial organization, but I'm always looking two years ahead and know that if we want to expand our programs, we will need to um, attract funding to support that. Is there anything else you need the town council to do? Well, the $100,000 did not hurt. That was incredible, and that we can put into our plan for how we might expand some of these programs or provide more robust services to folks. Um, but you all have always been um, supportive of what we're doing, publicizing what we're doing, encouraging people to come see us and learn about our mission um, is really important. Um, I, I wouldn't have to say this because it already happens, but encouraging all the departments to continue to collaborate with us. There's a lot of folks in town that many of us touch, and we can be most effective for those people when we're all working together. So I, I would say continue doing what you're doing, please. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Shannon. Councilor Yeah, thank you. Uh, you, uh, you happen to get to work with um, some of our most vulnerable neighbors and for the most part we're providing food and, and some uh, other basic household needs. But in conversations, are you noticing any trends around other needs um, that are popping up that they're, that they're struggling to find uh, services for? Yes, I would say housing <laughs> is a huge yeah. need. Just give a little segue there. Um, Housing is a huge need. There is just not affordable housing in this community or even surrounding communities. It's not a commentary on Franklin itself, as most of you know in this room. It's a larger problem. Um, we we haven't that that would be the number one problem in transportation. Um, there's there's always the underlying problem. Um, rent increases I would put into the bucket of housing. Um, there are always challenges with um, medical bills, utility bills, but if I had to pick two, even accessing our services, transportation is a huge challenge. Folks don't have access to reliable transportation and struggle to get to our services, and we you know, have worked you know, closely with you on a lot of these issues, um, and GAFRA is certainly a help, um, but it's not a perfect solution as, as we've been sharing, so. That's tremendous. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Councilor Frangelo. Councilor Hamlin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, to the chair. Hi, Tina. Hi. Um, thank you for being here. I think it's just amazing, uh, the volunteers and everything um, that happens here in Franklin. It's really something special. I was wondering if you could explain a little bit more about the backpack program and 
So there's 81 backpacks a week. So I never, I didn't realize it was every week that you did that. Correct. Um, and what's in the backpack? Who gets them? That kind of thing. Sure. So the recipients of the backpacks are um, a high, a Franklin Public School student. So it is a confidential program. The nurses at the various schools will identify children in need. And this started as a pilot program at Parmenter and now is at um, all the schools in Franklin, including ECDC. So um, it varies week to week, depending on who's in school and, and what a particular family is, is facing. So it's a very real-time program and, again, really illustrates the uh, collaboration between us and the schools. So our client service manager gets a list, a number, really, not a list of names, from the school nurse. And volunteers come in, pack those bags up, and those bags are generally filled with uh, what we hope would get one child through a weekend. So it might be a couple of items that serve as a meal, maybe canned meals, some oatmeal, shelf-stable milk, um, you know, depending on the, the time, we'll throw in a toothbrush or a toothpaste as we can every once in a while. So there's snack items, um, fruit, that type of thing. Those then are picked up by other volunteers because now the program has grown so big. If you can imagine 81 bags going out um, to, to 11 different places, um, that's not something one volunteer can do anymore. So that was the engine this morning. Those go out on Wednesday um, so that they can go out to the students in advance of the weekend. And that is a program we're sort of always um, looking at to refine and improve. But again, last year our average was 60 and now it's 80 or 90. Interesting. Thank, thank you for that. Thank you, Councilor Jones. Thank you, Mr. Chairman and team. It's a pleasure to have you here. You and all your volunteers, and thank you for all the hard work that goes into making your organization function. Um, I can only imagine what it must be like people walking in Many of the food insecurities I can completely understand having a large family myself. Just recently going into the store and seeing a bag of Doritos, which was once originally two dollars and fifty cents, is now six dollars. You know, just basic small snack items and stuff like that. Just the, yeah, I can understand how families that are, are having to make these really difficult decisions. I can only assume that's probably one of the main messages that you would receive is that it's just the price of food. The amount of quantity they're getting for their for their budget is just so minimal these days that it's no shock that your numbers have increased the way that they have. Um, I really kind of just wanted to harp in and, and say thank you and again your organization for your part in helping out with Self Safe Coalition and the new migrants that have come into the community. Can you touch base a little bit on how the migrants? Sure, sure. Well, I have to say that we um, are doing what we can to help um, the families who are housed in Franklin, um, but I really have to give a kudos to the town administrator's office for bringing together all the social service agencies in this area. Um, if there was a town that you want to be a human service agency in, it's Franklin, Massachusetts. The camaraderie, the support, the collaboration um, is impressive, and the folks at SAFE Coalition are so deeply trained in issues of culture and trauma-informed care that um, really we've deferred to them in terms of identifying the needs, 
building the trust. I would say the primary way that we are supporting um, probably those families in the easiest way to understand is through the weekend backpack program because many of those children are in the schools. Um, we don't know who it is, but the nurses have said to us that those are students they have identified as maybe not having access to um, snacks and whatnot that we can provide. Um, so that can be that's one easy way. And then as called on, um, we've tried to help out when we can. And just a quick note, years ago, um, you know, I've always been a big supporter of the food pantry. I used to have fundraisers paintball. Um, that discussion that's came funny. back up again over the holiday and I do plan on putting together and organizing something this spring. Wonderful. With several individuals in hopes of raising additional funds for food pantry. Um, and of course, you know, I'll be reaching out to others as usual to try to garner more funding, say no, around the holidays, particularly around Thanksgiving and Christmas, uh, which is some of the biggest needs that the food pantry has, and that people just kind of need to remember that these are an ongoing daily uh, need, that if people are able to and willing to make donations and money donations, that this, this is a constant need, not just something around the holidays, but throughout the rest of the year. If I may, um, Councilor Jones, that's a really important point. Um, we are so grateful for sort of the uptick um, during the holiday seasons where folks are really cognizant of um, the need and are very volunteer-minded, might have more time off and more flexibility, but it is true that um, our food drives really dip in the, in, the, in the spring. People are on vacation in the summer. So um, it's a great message that the need doesn't, doesn't lessen over the whole year. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all your wonderful volunteers. All volunteers are amazing. Look at the fish organization. We have representative um, in the audience from Santa Foundation. I just couldn't underscore again how working in this town with other volunteer-run organizations um, has really been um, an honor and a privilege. Thank you so much. Thank you, Councilor Jones. Councilor Cormier Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Hi, Tina. <clears throat> Thank you for that great presentation. Thank you for all the amazing work that you and your team do. I think we've certainly all noticed since you took over the amazing, amazing programs that uh, the Franklin Food Pantry is able to do. A couple of questions. Do you have any numbers on like where people are from that you're serving? Like, you know, Franklin compared to other towns? Sure, sure. It's predominantly Franklin. Um, I would say it's about 85. I don't have the most recent numbers, but it's somewhere, let's say 85% are Franklin residents. We have recently, because of the uptick um, in numbers and because we really want to make sure that Franklin residents are, are taken care of, uh, we have put sort of a temporary hold on accepting new out-of-town clients. Um, but we have existing out-of-town clients from so as far as Milford, Atterboro, Framingham. So, um, and that what happened was, folks heard about the new building, the services we provide. We have choice shopping. We have healthy produce. Um, our walk-in freezers and fridges allow us to have healthy um, proteins and dairies that many, many food pantries don't have. So then, the word kind of spread, and we're trying to manage um, the the demand. So we are predominantly Franklin, but, but do have a reach to other communities. Thank you. And I know you mentioned earlier that there's always a need for finances, but things are, things are solid. 
and I know that you have several buckets and I know that from conversations that you were still looking for support to sort of wrap up your capital campaign so how much do you still need to get that done so you can focus on other things well the capital campaign had three legs and so the, really, the easiest leg to understand was let's buy and renovate a building, right? That's a capital project that makes sense to people. Um, the other two legs almost don't have an end because it's sort of a building maintenance fund so that we're not house poor. So mm -hmm. if um, there was flooding, we could repair it without breaking in operations. Um, and then the third bucket is program enhancements, which is really what it's all about. But they're all equally important because this is, you know, $1.1 million business. It, people sort of have an image of um, food pantries, I think, as sort of cans go come in and we make sure that they're not dented and then the cans go out. Um, and there's so much that goes into it, just the liability, insurance, the payroll that we're, you know, to keep staff on to make sure that these programs run rain or shine. Um, it, it's, it's a lot. So the building fund is important as just like stabilization funds here and um, the program enhancement fund is important so we are we have are at about 2.1 of our campaign um, but I do think that we will begin to begins to get murky right when you're when you're for for, for people to understand a program enhancement bucket um, isn't just sort of different from the operations you're running every single day. So we continue to uh, fundraise under that sort of capital campaign, but I think you're going to see it phasing out and us talking about supporting program enhancements and um, sort of a rainy day fund, if you will, um, as sort of our two two main buckets. Okay, great. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Council Comey-Legit. Council Chandler. For you, Mr. Chairman. Thanks, Tina, for you and your volunteers. Franklin definitely appreciates you. Definitely, thank you. Um, just a quick comment. Um, say, um, <laughs> one second. Uh, oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Whatever problems people have, if you don't have food, we can't help you with any other problem. Mm -hmm. So basically, you guys are the most important. Number one, without food, we can't do anything else. We have to be alive, obviously. Yeah. And um, so I just want to let people know, again, the biggest thing they can do is donate, donate, donate. So I hope people do. Um, I know all your stuff is on our website and your website, so hopefully everybody can um, help out this year because that's how important we are. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Chandler. Councilor Flagrant. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Through you to Tina. Thank you so much for coming this evening, telling us all about it. Um, we do seem to know some of it, but we always like to have you come here and tell us a little bit more. You were so quick to thank all of these people that, you know, help you and all. But I want to take the opportunity to thank you because you can't do anything without a leader. And you certainly are the leader of the food pantry, and you do a great, great job. We appreciate it. I do have a question. Um, I know it's food pantry, but do you have anything to do with um, clothing? I'm thinking now with this cold weather and all for jackets and coats, do you have a place that we can bring those things? We do not accept 
clothing. We really try to focus on food or other related items. I mean, to that end, um, public assistance dollars do not cover things like feminine hygiene products, shampoo, conditioner, soap, cleaning products. So we do carry those non-food items in the pantry, and those are some of the highest need because public assistance mm -hmm. dollars can't be used for that. But beyond those type of sort of personal items, we um, just aren't in the business or the space of um, clothing. There is an organization that has a fairly large sort of clothing operation in Hopkinton called Project Just Because, um, and that's really the, the closest place that has sort of a comprehensive, offers a comprehensive option for folks that, that need that. With this cold weather, I'm sure there are ones out there. And also, I think yes, the church. That's really yeah. Go ahead. No, you. you I just have uh, comes up with your questions. Really, at the Federated Church right now, um, they've been the doing an excellent job yeah. on these issues. And I think um, I went up there recently, and, and they almost have like a, a TJ Maxx. It's beautiful. I mean, down at the bottom. I mean, they've got several rooms filled up, and I've heard um, you know that um, there's been a big need. I think. Compare uh, commensurate with what Tina's saying, um, but they've also gotten a lot of donations and some pretty high quality stuff. So I, I think that, I think that they've been kind of taking that over, and I think they've been helping also uh, a lot of the uh, families up at the Best Western, um, you know, through that same effort. So yes, thank you. Okay. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Pliggery. Councilor Delarco. Thank you, Williams, uh, Chairman. Thank you, Tina. Obviously, I, we would know that you do a good job when you were on this side. We knew exactly how good you were, so we knew that you would do a great job, and you do a great job. I was just wondering, I know that we have the opportunity to bring people to us, but what about the people out there that can't come to you? Do you I, we haven't talked anything about, do you, can you get deliveries, or can you get them picked up and bring them down? Just kind of curious. Sure. We do have a specific program that's a home delivery program, and it's really a medically qualified program. We haven't been able to open it up to folks just who simply have transportation limitations because that number is overwhelming, overwhelming. Um, so we have talked to other organizations like FISH about how we might work together, and we're always working um, with GATRA through Kobe and whomever the rotating council liaison has been. Um, you know, GATRA will take you both ways, and um, we have had recent successes with them, um, but it's, it's a challenge because they, yeah. I think they're just overtaxed. And um, uh, so the home delivery program does provide food on a weekly basis for folks who aren't able to um, leave their home because of whether it's short-term or long-term medical issues. And, and that's um, sort of how we get at that. And they that apply online or whatever. They call our client services manager. It also serves as a wellness check, which we really try to do that's because good. these people tend yeah. to be homebound right. um, by definition. So it's a, it's a point of contact, and it's not uncommon in those calls for us to uncover something that we pla pass along to the crisis intervention team of the town um, for their attention. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Tina. Thank you. Thank you, Councilor Delarco. Tina, thank you so much for coming this evening and giving us uh, this great update. Uh, I think it's important for the community to see the kinds of things that and what's being done by the Franklin Food Pantry. And thanks so much to all your volunteers, 
to yourself. Uh, it's a great organization doing great things for a great community. Thank well, you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, moving on, the next uh, presentation we have is a presentation on the homelessness report. Amy Frigoletti, Deputy Town Administrator, and I think the, at least part of the crisis intervention team is also here as well. So, yes. Amy, I'll turn it over to you. All right, great. Different, in a different seat tonight. But <laughs> Thank you very much, good evening, and thank you for having me before the council um, to discuss homelessness in Franklin. Um, I am joined by the crisis intervention team, as you, as you just mentioned. Um, for those in the audience uh, or at home who don't know me, I'm Amy Fridgeletti, the deputy town administrator. Um, in part of my role, I've been tasked with coordinating social services here in town, and I'm essentially working to understand what services are offered to Franklin residents, both through our municipal departments uh, and also via our local nonprofits and in external community partners like the, the food pantry. Uh, through this work, I hope to uh, identify where there might be overlap in services, uh, where we can better coordinate and collaborate, and then also where there's uh, gaps that need attention. Um, about a month into my tenure, as many of you know, the town was presented with the migrant crisis, which certainly helped expedite my understanding of, of all the social service um, contributors here in town. Um, with this experience, I can say unequivocally that Franklin is really, really fortunate to, uh, to have this robust roster of resources in town and really knowledgeable individuals who are really eager to help and improve the quality of life of those that call Franklin home. As I said, um, I'm here this evening with members of the Community Crisis Intervention Team. Um, as some of you may know, uh, this is an internal municipal working group. We are working together to support the well-being of Franklin residents. Um, it was formed several years ago and uh, we recently reactivated it to better coordinate efforts to help triage extreme cases of crisis that intersect over multiple departments. Um, we work to connect individuals and families with resources, social support, and case, manage case management, while also keeping public health and safety in mind. Um, the team consists of a compassionate professional and experienced staff, which includes Doug Parrow, a firefighter, paramedic, and the town's safe officer. Danielle Hopkins, our social service, uh, our senior center director, excuse me. Raylene Galvin, our social services coordinator. Kathleen Liberty, who is on Zoom here, um, our, health, our health director. Ginny McNeil, our town's health agent. Shannon Nisbet, our veteran service officer. Kelly Montagano and Sonia Wagner, um, who are our co-response team mental health clinicians with the Franklin Police Department, and myself. Um, while the CIT works on a variety of cases, um, homelessness is certainly one of our most challenging occurrences. Um, in talking about homelessness, 
It's really important to point out that the definition changes depending on who you ask. If you look at the definition on the Department of Housing and Urban Development's website or the Social Security Administration's website, um, and then also in speaking with the Franklin Housing Authority, they all use different definitions in determining homelessness to administer the various benefits. I know a goal of the council is to better understand the scope of homelessness in Franklin. And while getting an exact number can be challenging due to the transient nature of the homeless population, we can estimate based on what we are seeing regularly in the community and the growing calls for services. There is certainly a rising demand for both housing and social services in our community, as the food pantry just illustrated. More broadly, in January 2023, the U.S. saw the number of homeless rise 12% from 2022 to 653,100. And at the same time, Massachusetts reported a homeless population of 19,741. HUD's recently released 2023 annual homeless assessment report finds increases across all populations in homelessness rates. Increases are due to a combination of factors, namely the expiration of pandemic era protections, as Tina just spoke, spoke about, uh, the affordable housing crisis, skyrocketing rents, and high inflation. The Greater Milford Community Health Network, Chennai 6, of of which Franklin is a part of, performed a comprehensive regional assessment of homelessness in this whole area. Uh, according to their report in the 2020 U.S. Census, 307 people were identified as homeless in Franklin. The 2020 Census counts the homeless population at non-institutionalized facilities. These facilities include emergency and, transi and transitional shelters, soup kitchens, non-sheltered outdoor locations, adult group homes, adult residential treatment centers, and group living quarters. Although 307 people feels like a lot, we are not actually seeing this number regularly in Franklin. As you can see, this past year, town departments encountered approximately 48 cases of homelessness. It's important to note that there is likely duplication of some of these cases, which we've been seeing as we're collaborating on the CIT in our work. As part of this work, we've begun to better understand each other's job descriptions, how these cases are triaged and tracked, tracked, and we will aim to establish a better system of tracking in the future to ensure better accuracy as, as we talk about this in the town. According to the Franklin Housing Authority, as of January 8th, 114 local residents are on their waiting list for one-bedroom apartments. 278 local residents are on the list for family housing, and one resident is on the list for congregate housing. For a total of 393 local residents awaiting housing with the Franklin Housing Authority. In 2023, the Housing Authority had 25 vacancies, of which 20, of which 14 were filled with local residents or local veterans. 
eight were filled with emergency applicants, and three were in-house transfers. The waiting list for housing is very long. Statewide centralized housing, the statewide centralized housing list has nearly 200,000 people on it. And there are over 15,000 people statewide on the Franklin waiting list for public housing, and the wait list can be 12 years or more for seniors and disabled individuals. All the people housed at state properties have to go through the statewide waiting list, meaning the housing authority can't just house Franklin local residents. The list puts emergency cases before any others, and these cases include individuals that are living in cars and are homeless, or they have a court date and eviction notice pending. There is no priority to veterans and local residents on the waiting list. Both town departments and external partners, such as the Franklin Food Pantry and the Safe Coalition, help in a wide variety of ways. Um, as Tina had mentioned, you know, we help with applications for rental assistance, um, for housing, Department of Trans uh, Transitional Assistance, SNAP benefits, Social Security and Disability benefits, other cost savings programs such as fuel assistance. Uh, we work to connect individuals to external partners like the Food Pantry, the YMCA, Random Smiles, Catholic Charities, the Santa Foundation, Fisher Franklin, uh, Tri-Valley Elder Services, St. Vincent de Paul, the Interfaith Council, and many, many more. Um, we help individuals apply and see if they are eligible for other related cost savings programs, you know, related to health insurance and to help offset other household costs. Um, we also connect clients to free health clinics and counseling and behavioral health resources. These are just some of the programs and services offered to the Franklin residents. Um, many of these resources attempt to be proactive versus reactive in preventing homelessness. Um, and while the wait list for both shelters and housing um, is long, we, we have been successful in finding people housing in a number of cases. Um, more big picture, what we're doing to, to help is we're trying to streamline services and strengthen our partnerships and resources in town. Um, as we mentioned, we restored the community crisis intervention team. Um, we created the Franklin Police Department co-response team program, which includes two mental health clinici clinicians working uh, with the Franklin Police Department. Uh, we partnered with the Franklin Public Schools to fund the William James Interface uh, Referral Program. This is a mental health and substance use disorder referral service. Um, as was mentioned earlier, the council approved the application of the county opera funds to provide significant funding to the Safe Coalition, Franklin Food Pantry, and YMCA. Um, the health department has created a homeless resource website and resource cards to hand out as needed, which I brought here today if, you, if people want to take some. Um, and we're currently creating an updated web-based community resource guide uh, through the Council on Aging through a grant that they received that will provide a, a whole listing of resources that are provided throughout town. 
Um, the administration is reviewing existing fees and exemptions and discounts for Franklin residents. Um, and the health department hosts weekly social service calls around the migrant crisis. Uh, and we've scheduled um, a job fair on January 29th for those that have working papers and uh, in order to <coughs> get people on their feet working. Uh, the public schools have the Office of Student Service Education for Homeless Children and the Mental Health and Wellness Task Force. And lastly, we are working to, to really raise awareness about this issue through meetings like this and hearing what the Safe Coalition is doing and what the Food Pantry is doing and also what we're doing both internally um, to address homelessness is, is really important. Um, many of us have also been on the Mental Health Crisis series on Franklin TV to raise awareness. And um, the Chana 6, uh, is using is having homelessness as one of their priorities. They have a subcommittee on homelessness with Milford Hospital, and they've hosted a homeless panel discussion and are currently working on a campaign to make people more aware of this problem. In closing, I just want to thank the council for providing me the opportunity to highlight all the work the Franklin community does to combat homelessness. And um, I can say in my short time here, it is very clear that Franklin prioritizes uh, well-being and the well-being of its citizens and is committed to supporting and serving uh, the community across all aspects of health and wellness. Uh, Jamie and I will continue to collaborate with our local, regional, and statewide partners to identify available resources and work with our partners on the CIT and beyond to certainly brainstorm cases, identify gaps, and find ways to address holes in the system and make, and make progress. Um, but with that said, the pandemic era, federal resources and protections expiring has certainly um, made, this, made us aware that this matter is not going away anytime soon. There's a, certainly a bigger discussion to be had around housing, and we need to, to support not only locally, but from our state and federal partners to address the housing crisis that we're seeing. So thank you very much, and um, we're here to answer any questions. Thank you, Mimi. Thanks, Amy. Questions? Councilor Cormier-Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Amy. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you, every department head that makes this a priority because that's that's quite a list and that's a lot of people I, um i had heard that there was an adult shelter in milford that was struggling because of some red tape to be able to keep their doors open on a permanent basis because they had some classification issues in the church has that been fixed so that they can actually house some of these homeless folks or are they still running into problems my understanding is that the, the shelter in Milford is open, but its hours have been restricted. So I'm not sure on, um, and I'm not sure about the red tape that you're, you're talking about, but I do know that there is a, we are referring people to the shelter in Milford and its hours are, are limited. Yeah, I think the red tape that I'm referring to was that they had these restricted hours and that they couldn't 
they couldn't really be a permanent solution for folks because they were kind of classified as a church and not as a shelter. So they could only be they could only open their doors for a certain amount of time. They couldn't really be a permanent solution. So I was just curious if that had been fixed. Yeah. Um, so the 300 or so folks that are local, where where are they? Like just so people understand, like where are they now? So that's what's been identified in the census. So we. The, our departments have not identified those. The, the census, that's what's been reported in the census. Okay. But what we're seeing here in town um, from you know the partners that we're working with and the crisis intervention team is approximately 48 individuals that we've seen this past year that, we're, that our departments are coming across. And we've been able to at least get those 48 people out of the cold, or are they? So we work with these individuals and try to connect them to resources. We connect them to the shelters, um, try to f help them fill out applications. If they're veterans, we work with our veteran services. Um, if they're seniors, we work with uh, the senior center to try to get them the right applications and get them into um, housing. Um, not everyone wants to accept mm -hmm. uh, housing, yeah. uh, but certainly we try to keep track of them and check in with them and get them on a path to housing or get job security, um, whatever the case may, whatever the case may need. So for the folks listening, if they know of someone in need, what's the best phone number for them to call to? have the CIT uh, look into that situation? Um, they can email me, um, and then I can bring the information to the CIT, and we can triage um, the situation. If, they, it may not, if it's not a crisis situation, there may just be resources in town that we'll be connecting them to. Uh, the CIT really handles extreme crisis situations, particularly around homelessness, but, but other things as well. And if there's a wellness check or something needed for like an elderly neighbor, they could just call the police department or would they be better to call you? They, they could call the police department, the fire department, they could also call us and, I mean, if it was an emergency, I would say call the police department. But yeah. certainly uh, if it was just something that they wanted to bring to our attention that they didn't find pressing, we could certainly look into it. Okay, great, keep up the good work, thank you. Thank you, Councilor Colmiel-Ledger. Councilor Chandler. Good evening, Mr. Chairman. This question is actually um, probably for the two clinicians. First of all, I'm very happy that we have the money to uh, bring them both on board, and it looks like it's gonna stay for a while, which is good. My question was, when Lisa was here from the Housing Authority, one of the things that she said was, if you were a domestic violence, um, if you suffer from domestic violence with you and your kids, they possibly could get you into public housing quicker. What are you guys doing when you run into that in the middle of the night for a domestic violence family? So we don't work overnight yet. Oh, please, <laughs> just identify yourself. Well, the next day I'm follow up. Okay. I'm good. I'm Callie Montagano, a core response manager um, with the Franklin Police Department. Thank you. Um, so we don't work overnight yet, um, but the police department is amazing about referring cases that if we're not working, we'll be able to follow up with them the next day. 
Um, and we have some great domestic violence resources um, in the area that can work specifically with people who are going through domestic violence situations that can coordinate um, housing that maybe we wouldn't coordinate for, say, like a veteran. So it's a, it's a different kind of realm. Um, but we do have resources that we can refer them to. So we would do probably like a follow-up with that family, whether it be over the phone or in person. Um, if the police would take us, then we'd go meet with that family and come up with a solution, ideally. In, in the moment, though, if, uh, that is a matter of physical violence, so the aggressor is typically taken out of the home. Um, and and uh, even just last night, or it was just a verbal argument, but she, uh, Sergeant Kalaki told me they collected some money and bought this guy a hotel room just because they wanted to make sure um, the female was safe and also the male had some space to pull down. It wasn't a situation where they could remove him from the home legally, but they gave him the option, like, hey, if we're gonna do this, we're gonna put you in a hotel for the night, give, give both of you some space. Um, so they're, they're good problem solvers, even when we're not there. Yes. Um, <laughs> makes, us, <laughs> makes us happy to see that they're, they're doing you know, a lot of the work that, that uh, we do. Um, Actually, you just gave me, my last question, you rolled right into that. Vouchers, Amy, do we have anything like that that they can use from the town? Any of the hotels give us a couple of vouchers here or there? We do not, but that is something that we're looking at through the crisis intervention team, and we are asking for um, capital funding to fill some of those donut holes that Just we Just for some emergencies. That that's, that's one of the biggest needs that we see as well, yeah. even in this case, or we have a few individuals who are, you know, there's situations in which we could get workers in their home to take care of some problems that they're having that may make the, safe, the home not safe, but we need a transition place for them to be in. Um, and so the hotel doctors would be one of the biggest benefits as I could see in helping us with people who connect, like while we can connect them to resources, kind of buying us a little bit of time to be able to do that and give them a safe place to, to be able to stay. Mm -hmm. so. Great. It's great we have you ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor Chandler. Councilor Pelegri. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, you had said 307 homeless in Franklin. That's what was reported <clears throat> in the 2020 census. Where are they? So that's not what we see regularly, but that's what was reported. So we want to make sure that people are aware that that's the reported <clears throat> number. But I think on average, you know, we're not seeing uh, hundreds of homeless people. We we see, we see a, a, approximately this year. It's been about 50 people, 48 people. Jamie, you want to jump in? Yeah, do this really quickly. So again, I know it. It's it's the correct response, right? 300 people mentioned that on their census. But those could be folks who are, most of those folks, if not all of them, are are incredibly transient, right? So they're staying with a relative. They're staying with friends. They may be in other communities. They may come back. Okay, I think the image sometimes that gets conjured that I wanted to spell is that there's 300 people out in the woods, you know, or like under bridges or in the streets or behind stores. That's not necessarily the case. I think the number that Amy gave on the second slide, and I also want to caution people, when she said 48 cases, she did say a lot of those are duplicative cases. So one case, one individual may have gone to the senior center and Danielle and Raylene may know about it, that same person may have also contacted the fire department or the Board of Health or something like that. So I think what the crisis intervention team is trying to do is kind of hone in a little bit more specifically on exact cases with real people that we know of. Um, there was one example recently where the team was very successful in trying to fill some donut holes to get person 
to more permanent housing um, that was, as we think of homeless, somebody that was living in a tent um, on the outskirts of town, um, way away, kind of isolated away um, in a very rural part of the community. So I just wanted to clause those numbers. I know it jumps off the page, but most of those folks, if not the vast majority of them, are, are transient. They're moving around. They may have been from Franklin. They may not even be here anymore. Um, mm -hmm. They reported it on the census, but they could have moved. Um, you know, and, and so there's a lot of different scenarios. And I think that's why Amy's presentation, which is so well done, said at the beginning, like HUD, the Social Security Administration, the state all have different definitions on this stuff. And so it's awfully hard to kind of pinpoint exactly who's homeless that we think of, um, you know, in that fashion. So um, I hope that brings a little bit more clarity, Council of Public to some of your questions. They could be living with a family member or living in a car or um, they not, might not necessarily be, you know, on the street, but they're so reporting as homeless. They're reported as homeless. So they list themselves on a census form with the family that they're living with now as living in a car? Is that what you're saying? They, they can, they may be living with, you know, a family member, but not have a, a permanent place of, of residence. They could be yeah. couch surfing, going from, you know, one family member to a friend's house to another. So um, just the definitions are, are different. So I think they might not be living on the street, but they, they're defined, they're still defined as homeless. Even though they're living in a home, I just want people to understand yeah. this too. Right. They're living in a home with people. They may be traveling from one to another and all, but they're not living out on the streets. We don't have people like that in town. We do have some people like that in town. Yes, we definitely do. But I, we, we're not seeing 307 people. Okay. I want to see those people that are living out on the streets. I want to see them being taken care of. You know, I, I'm all for this migrants that are living in the hotels and all. But I think the number one that should be living in the hotels of those that are homeless in the town of Franklin. We've got to take care of our own. It's very, very important. So is that something that perhaps you ladies um, would look into as far as those that are homeless? Um, There's only, unfortunately, like so many resources and so many shelter spots, especially right now with the cold weather. Shelters are overtaxed and overworked. We're hard pressed to find a spot and a shelter for anyone right now. Um, so that's why we speak about the hotel vouchers, while we can establish resources, while we can connect them with people who can help them with the housing authority process, the application process. But even that, you can see the numbers. We've been working with a few individuals with CIT who they're, they, you filed the application for Parkway a month, maybe a month and a half ago, and there's still, there's still no been no progress on the application. So our hands are a little bit tied in what we can provide, which is why, you know, bringing the awareness. Oh, no, no, no. I'm, I was just asking if you knew of a way to, to do something like that. A couple of years back, we had people, and Bobby's probably going to bring this up, that we had them living out in the woods in tents. And that should not happen in, t in the town of Franklin. Um, you the chair, could we go yeah. to the chief? 
I just want you to understand that when we come in contact with people, we can offer them all the services in the world, but they can refuse, hands down, that they don't want to accept it at all. And we can't just take them. We can't. We try to convince them. We explain things to them. They'll even tell us stories that sometimes, unfortunately, break the heart the whole nine yards, but they decide that they want to remain where they're at. And where they're at, they're not bothering anybody. The person that owns the property is good with it. And so they choose to do that. And they have that ability to do that. Chief, do you know if there are any right now that are living out in the woods? I'm sure we have some people currently right now living out in the woods, yes. And they've been contacted, we know who they are. Okay. We even go by and check on them every now and again and so forth. Good. But we can't just physically tell them they have to leave. If, they don't, if the, land, if the landowner doesn't want them there, then we'll have to, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. do the best we can, we'll have to move them along. Yeah. But the other thing too is if they have everything there and everything's good, it's almost better to leave them there than to have them move go somewhere else. Because we know where they are and we can still check on them. But there's not 48 people out there in the woods right now. No. There's certainly not 307. Okay. We only know of a few. A few. A few. Sad situation that we'd even have one. You know, we've, we've got to do something. We've got to do something for that one, for that 307, or for the 48. But um, we've got to do something for these people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Back there also. Thank you, Councilor Pelegri. Councilor DeLorco. Thank you, Cameron. Uh, actually, uh, thank you, Amy, for the presentation. That was great, but the chief kind of took the words out of my out of, right out of my mouth because uh, a couple of years ago, uh, maybe it was a, more than a couple of years ago, Council Bizanti, uh, the late Council Bizanti, and myself, we went up to the woods and there was a homeless person up there, uh, off the high tension wires on. Off of Washington Street, and we tried everything to get him to come out. I even offered to take him and buy him food, and he didn't even want that. So, if I, I know what you guys are going through, no matter what, we went up there two or three different times, and I know he since has passed, but um, you know he just didn't want the help at, at all. And that, that's a sad. That's very sad. I mean. I, that, that was a tough one. So I know that people bounce around from house to house and they list themselves as homeless. I mean, I've had friends that have done that. And, um, but the state also has to kick it up too a little bit because I got a, a poor young girl called me last year for heating assistance. She makes 40 grand a year. I mean, Danielle and them guys did everything they could for her. And she pays $1,200 a month for rent and the state came back and told them she she makes two thousand dollars too much to get fuel assistance. Who in the state can tell me that a, a person making forty thousand dollars a year can't get a tank full of oil? That is absolutely insane. So they have to step it up too. So, but uh, you guys do a good job. You girls do a great job out there. So uh, just stick with it. Thank you, Councilor Delaco. Councilor Sheriff. Well, I I think. Uh, you don't know some, but you, once you know them, you kind of see them. Because uh, I mean, last year, I was coming to Mass, St. Mary's, and I just saw a woman come up to the basement of the church with a bicycle. I thought that was weird. There was something going on. Then I saw her, I've seen her around town since. She's always on a bicycle, going to Walgreens. And you see a lot of people, I think, living downtown, collecting bottles. So they might have a place to stay. 
they might be some of them might be nice enough to stay for the night, but they're yeah. definitely all there. Thank you, Councilor Sheridan. Councilor Fragile? Yeah, just quickly, I, I thought it was a fantastic presentation and a really good documentation of uh, where we're at and some of the services we're, we're providing. Uh, can we just uh, put that on the website or, or yeah. share with us? Yeah, I think, um, dear Mr. Chairman, I think the idea is to try to get, this, I think the org chart was up there, if you go back really quickly, Amy, um, you know, I think the org chart, the presentation, I think the idea, um, just as a primer, there's, there's a capital request this year to, before the capital committee, to try to help support the work of CIT. Um, it's just some donut hole funding. It's exactly for what Sonia mentioned. It's really for hotel vouchers. When we had a case, I could see the donut hole. I've been in social services for a lot of my career, and I think we just thought like a little bit of funding would help support them. And the key is, with one case they dealt with recently, was just about getting through to the individual and buying in that support that the chief mentioned. And in this case, the person did accept um, help. And we saw that with a little bit of funding, the group may have been able to use those vouchers to kind of as a bridge, right, to some of the red tape that Sonia spoke of a moment ago with some of the other social services, whether it's Milford Church or a lot of others. Sometimes the demand at the food pantry, we've seen it. Um, and so it's just trying to do a little bit. And I think what the goal of the team is to try to just get a website up with all of this information um, as they grow as an as a internal working group. Um, and that would help also with the contact. Um, right now, anybody's available. Um, I think people are still gonna go to any one of those departments, but eventually, hopefully, there's a, list, a little bit more of a streamlined process to answer uh, Ted's question a minute ago um, for the whole group. Um, so at least things are a little bit more streamlined. So this is just kind of getting back to, to that, and we hope to have a little site up. Uh, and that, and that, that information up there. The health department website does have a homeless um, link and it has resources, uh, homeless resources on that. And um, as I mentioned in the uh, presentation, we just got a grant for $2,100 to do an online web-based uh, resource guide. So the Council on Aging is doing that too. So we'll get those resources up and make them, make sure that people have access to them. Yeah, yeah. I think resources the most important. Yeah. It's also helpful for us to have a reference point of where we're at in terms of the size of the problem. Sure. That would be easily accessible. Thank you, Councilor Fondillo. Councilor Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Through the chair, Aunt Amy, thank you so much for this presentation. I think it proves, it should prove to the whole community why we needed you to come here and help us. Um, I think we have enough work. Um, with the CIT and thanks all the CIT team out there. I see everybody's here and online. Um, I I was I love the idea of the vouchers, so I'll thumbs up to that. I think that would be a great thing. I, I just want to ask you a question. I missed it. You said when we were talking about how long it takes for people to get uh, assisted living. Um, the, the veterans and the, and the people with disabilities, it takes much longer? No, it, I, I, to, to, for, for a senior or an individual with a disability, it could take as long as 12 years, if, if 12 not, years, if not longer. Right. Sure. Yeah. yeah, 12 years. I, I mean, to me, that's, that's unacceptable, and um, that definitely means we need to work on building some accessible housing. 
but, um, but so anyways, but thank you, and thanks to the whole team uh, for being here, and um, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor Hamlin. Councilor Jones. Thank you, Mr. Chairman, just a couple of quick short things. One, first off, the crisis intervention team, thank you and everyone that's involved in that. Um, of the 48 identified individuals, which I know there might be some duplicity, uh, is there a general age demographic with the homelessness? Is it, is it younger, middle-aged, older? I'll, I'll let the team, you know, speak to that if they want. They're really the ones doing, you know, doing the on-the-ground work. If, if they want to speak to what they're seeing, I think it really is a cross-section of our, our seniors, um, veterans, um, but yeah, I can speak to our um, stats from the police department. So we keep pretty thorough statistics of anybody that we work with. Um, and and when I looked back from the stats from July when we restarted the co-response program through December, and we had I think I put 13 individuals. The ages varied. Um, I had a couple in their early 20s come into the station and say we actually drove here from. I don't even know, somewhere out west because we heard Massachusetts was the place to come and they could help us with housing. Mm -hmm. um, so they were in their car for a couple weeks. We gave them resources um, and then they, they went on their way. So I think that speaks to what Jamie was saying about being transient. Um, so they're not here always. But then we have older people too um, that maybe have come on unfortunate circumstances. I think the pandemic really played a huge part in people not being able to afford housing that they may have already have. Um, so there's no real, for us, I, and looking at our data, there was no real specific age group, if that helps. And there's those people we're working with that we know are going to become homeless. Um, and that's tough, too, because there's only so many places we can point them and so many options we can give them. I mean, so people that we've helped to file applications, but there's no telling when they're going to be, you know, given uh, housing, so. Thank you. Shannon, maybe. Mr. Chairman, um, I only have a handful of cases compared to the Senior Center. In 2022, we had four evictions, and three out of those four cases were all um, senior citizens, either veteran or surviving spouse, mm -hmm. um, some in their uh, 70s, 80s. Uh, all these individuals were thankfully housed, but it was cutting it close. It was extremely difficult. Um, this year, we have uh, five cases uh, of you know varying degrees, but again, there are um, elderly uh, veterans involved in some. The, the same, you know, at least about half. Um, so I, I just want to emphasize that it's very stressful because uh, an elderly veteran, it's harder for them to go to a shelter. Ex extremely difficult. Mm -hmm. um, thankfully, we have uh, our Veterans Gift Fund and the Chapter 115 program that can sometimes help um, if we needed it to. We've used it in different situations. Also, a surviving spouse of a veteran is not eligible for any of the veteran shelters or programs like supportive services. Um, for veterans and families, so it's um, it, I just want everyone to be aware. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shannon. Thank you, Shannon. Oh, and we do have um, a veterans preference at the housing authorities 
for veterans and surviving spouses, mm -hmm. but not through HUD, as I understand, or the voucher right. system. Right. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you, you, Amy. Thank you, Mrs. Thank you, Amy. Yes, sir. Yes, please. Name and address, please. My name is Maxwell Marangelo, the 127 Central Park Terrace. And I thank you, Mr. Chairman, through you to Amy. Um, thank you for the presentation. Um, I have three comments. One of them I've brought up at a previous meeting was regards to Boxborough, where they have a, uh, a rental assistance program that's funded through the Community Preservation Act. And I didn't know if they have that program and so a housing voucher at the municipal level, whether something similar could be used for a hotel voucher uh, through the Community Preservation Act, because that's money that's more uh, presently available. Um, or if we just had a rental voucher like Boxborough does, that's, I mean, I know it's not housing, but we can't build housing, we're not able to. Um, so I didn't know if you want to answer that, I had two other things as well. Jamie? Quickly, no to the, vouch the hotel voucher system, which is uh, one of the reasons why the capital request was made this year. Um, and then two, um, just like everything with CPA, uh, you know, we will look into the rental, we will look into the rental assistance idea. The, the catch I just would I'd throw out there, and I think there are other models from other towns. Um, when Boxborough does it, I think you referenced Boxborough. Boxborough's population is about 5,000 people. So you have to have income eligibility guidelines. I mean, you have to have a very, very mature program. Very supportive of that concept, but just bandwidth on the staff. It just takes some time to get something like that through. And we have to make sure that when you give people an opportunity for rental assistance, to some degree, you almost have to figure out what the demand is first and make sure you're being able to spread the money around properly. Um, and so there is some careful thought that those communities go through, particularly larger communities like Boston that have some of those similar programs. So those are on the table. That's good to know. Um, one of the other things was that uh, the Department of Mental Health has a set-aside program. I just want to make sure you're aware of that as well as the, um, they also have a rental voucher for people who are uh, um, either a DDS or DMH eligible. And finally, I just want to make sure that all the residents know um, if, you, if there's all these different sources of help that you can get, and it can be very confusing, but just so you know that the number 211, if you need someone who needs help, just tell them to dial 211. There's a whole directory of resources that you could get to just by dialing uh, that number, and that's uh, for service of the United Way. So uh, thank you. Thank you, Max. Uh, any other questions? Amy, thank you. And the CIT team, thank you for being here tonight. Thank you for all the work you've done, all the work you will do. Uh, and it just goes to show what a team we have out there working to solve some of these issues that we face on a regular basis. So thank you one and all. Okay, moving on, legislation for action. Resolution 24-05, termination of the Massachusetts Statewide Opioid Settlement Stabilization Fund, as well as dedication of revenues thereto, as authorized by Mass General Laws Chapter 77 of the Acts of 2023. Clerk will read the resolution. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. This is Resolution 24-05, termination of the Massachusetts Statewide Opioid Settlement Stabilization Fund, as well as the dedication of revenues thereto, as authorized by General Law Chapter 77 of the Acts of 2023. 
Uh, whereas General Law Chapter 40, Section 5B authorizes the municipality to create a stabilization fund for a specified purpose and appropriate amounts thereto, provided that said action is effective for at least three years, Town of Franklin, through its town council, voted to create such a fund to accumulate revenue received from the Massachusetts statewide opioid settlement by Resolution 22-89, and whereas Chapter 77 of the Acts of 2023 eliminates the minimum three-year provision and authorizes the municipality to terminate a specialized stabilization fund at any time, and whereas the Town of Franklin wishes to terminate the Massachusetts Opioid Statewide Settlement Stabilization Fund and the dedication of revenues received from the Commonwealth of Massachusetts hereto from such settlement as authorized by Chapter 77 of the Acts of 2023. Now, therefore being voted by the Franklin Town Council that the Massachusetts Statewide Opioid Settlement Stabilization Fund as well as the dedication of revenues thereto is hereby terminated as authorized by Chapter 77 of the Acts of 2023 in General Law Chapter 40, Section 5B. This resolution should become effective according to the provisions of the Town of Franklin Home Rule Charter. Move Resolution 24-05. Second. Motion and second. Discussion, Jamie. Through Mr. Chairman, this is purely an administrative item. Um, if folks look in the packet, there was a memo put out by the Department of Revenue in December asking us to reverse the decision that they originally asked us to do, literally, um, <laughs> to put a stabilization account and then they changed their mind. I'm sure they have good reasons. We didn't really even dig into the details. We're just doing what we're told to do. Um, but the good news is, is from you just saw from Amy's presentation and all the other ones, um, Amy now is getting settled in and we're gonna start to work with those same stakeholders and others in the community to figure out uh, what the master plan will be for disbursement of the funds. So that's on their base goals for this year. Um, so this is just purely, again, an administrative item and there's no expenditures uh, attached to this resolution. Thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Questions or comments? Seeing none. Okay. No. The vote will come on the motion to approve resolution 24-05, a majority votes required. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carries. Town <coughs> Administrator's report. Uh, really quickly, I, I added, Mr. Chairman, it's been a while since we've had a migrant housing update. Um, uh, really quickly, I just wanted to give a quick bit of news. Um, number one, um, the chiefs still report. No emergencies, no public safety issues uh, up at the hotel. Um, everybody's been working very well together. Um, all the groups you just heard from continuing to supply um, food, clothing, and support programs, books, a variety of things. I think operationally, um, everything up at the hotel seems to be doing really well. One footnote that I did want to mention was there was a worker clinic, a uh, work authorization clinic. I know I get this question every week, and I know probably all of you do too. Um, when are folks gonna be able to get to work? So the good news is we did push the governor's office to get a tally and about 80 folks up at the hotel um, have either received their worker authorization permit through the federal government or are within you know, weeks of obtaining that. Um, and again, you know, from the, the place right here, Kathy Liberty and the rest of the staff um, have set up a job fair for those folks um, to try to help them secure employment. Um, and be able to hopefully get on their own feet and raise some money. Uh, the details are still a little, you know, they're still in progress, so I can't announce much more, but I'm sure you get it. I get it every week. <laughs> when are folks gonna be able to get to work? I get employers that call looking for help, right? I'm sure you have. 
So I just wanted to give that quick update, Mr. Chairman, because I think we've been through this the last six months, and yeah. now we're getting there. Um, Congressman Ockenclos is meeting last week when we were with him. I kind of asked him on the side, um, and he did confirm that you know the federal government and the state government are trying to set up another one of those um, clinics that they held for two weeks uh, up in the North Shore. Um, so slowly but surely, through, through winter, um, you know, we're kind of chipping away at everything. So it's really good for those folks that have gotten their authorization permits, and there's going to be a job fair soon through the Board of Health, and um, so hopefully, Slowly but surely, some folks will get some employment. So keep on moving on. So it's great news. Yeah, and I just can't thank Kathy enough for all of her leadership on uh, all of this. Um, thank you. Thank you, Jamie. Any questions for Jamie? Okay, moving on. Subcommittee and ad hoc committee reports. I don't believe any of them have met. Any GATRA update? Uh, Councilor Fragello, please. Yes. Um, I'm gonna blink. The only there was there was a super minor. The only update was that uh, a new town joined the Gatra uh, region, oh. um, and I'm just blanking. It was a it was a small town. <laughs> <laughs> Dighton. Was it was smaller. Rehoboth. Okay. Uh, uh, I'm going smaller. <laughs> Halifax. Fifties down there. Uh, Councilor Jones. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Master Plan Man of January 10th. Oh, our next. No, it's okay. Just um, just a quick update that on the January 10th, we uh, as a whole committee reviewed a survey that closed on December. Uh, I'm sorry, January 3rd. Uh, the next step is January 24th. We'll we be having our next scheduled meeting where we'll be reviewing the second and final draft of the inventory and assessment report. Great. Thank you, Councilor Jones. Okay, moving on, future agenda items. Councilor, call me a legend. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Um, two things this, to the town administrator to possibly look at for the future, just based on some complaints that I'm getting. One, if at all possible, some sort of a crosswalk over at Oak Street Elementary School or between the high school where they come out onto Oak. I've just gotten several people that say, hey, look, my kid runs across the street to not only to get to Pine Knoll, but also to connect over to Maple. And there's no crosswalk there. They, they don't wait to go to the ones that are sort of far apart. And there's been a couple of kind of hairy- uh, Close calls. You know, close calls, if you will. So the crosswalk would be great there. Um, and along those lines, if it would be possible, whether it's a, a traffic cop or a blinking light or something, but when the high school gets out, many of you maybe have gotten this complaint also, the buses come out in all at the same time and they don't adhere to the stop signs, they just go. So sometimes when you're on boat waiting, you might think it's your turn to go because of the stop sign, but the buses just keep going to try to get the kids out of the parking lot, which seems natural, but if you're the driver, you just don't know. So I, I just don't know if there's something we can do, if there's, you know, but, um, you know, a few people have mentioned it, so I, I said I would mention it tonight, so thank you. 
Thank you, Councilor Comiolege. Councilor Chandler? Nothing at this time. Councilor Pellegrini? Nothing at this time. Councilor Sheridan? Nothing at this time. Councilor Frangillo? Uh, just two that are uh, already on our radar, but just want to reflect, including one of them being um, the flag discussion, just to make sure that we're proactive. You know, the main crux of that was can we um, recognize uh, Pride Month so to yeah. make sure that we're getting ahead of that. Uh, and then if there's an update, maybe it's a quick answer now, um, but on the arts and culture director of position, but if there's an update on that, I'd love to hear. Okay. Councilor Hamlet. Uh, nothing at this time. Councilor Jones. Yes, sir. Councilor Delarco. Um, Jamie, can you um, maybe get uh, Lucas in here to give us an update of how the uh, migrates are handling the schools? Yeah, if you yep. get that in there. Absolutely. Okay, thank you, Councilor DeLarco. Councilor Comments. Councilor Sheridan. I just want to thank the pre uh, presenters today. It's very important. Thank you. Councilor Frangelo. The two office hours, first of the year, tomorrow. Um, open to anyone. Open to anyone at the Senior Center. Um, 8.30 to 9.30 at the Senior Center every third Thursday. That includes tomorrow. Uh, Safe Coalition is doing the Rainbow Connection, a six-week uh, workshop for LGBTQ teens. Uh, that starts next week. So if you want uh, more information on that, go to the Safe Coalition. Thank you, Councilor Frangillo. Councilor Hamlin. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I'd like to thank Fish, the Food Pantry, and the CIT for everything that everyone does for the community. Um, I can't be stated enough. This Saturday is a Winter's Farmer's Market of a Fairmont Fruit Farm from 10 to 2, but there's also Animal Tales from 10.30 to 11.30 for little kids. Mm -hmm. Then there's Coffee, Cocoa, and Cuddles, also with baby goats, and um, from 11 to 1.30. So if you, if you want to go to those things, uh, you, you should check the website, Fairmont Fruit Farm website, um, and get tickets, the, fa the farmer's market, you can just go in and see all the animals anyways. But um, I thought the coffee, cocoa, and cuddles is kind of cute. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cute, that's another city, right? Coffee, cocoa. But um, that's it, thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you, Councilor Hamblin. Councilor Cormier-Ledger. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Thank you to everyone tonight that made the presentations and also to the people with the feet on the ground doing this important work uh, because it's freezing out there right now and we're dealing with folks from a variety of backgrounds with a variety of needs and the staff and volunteers that care for them deserve all of our support. Um, this is just a, a quick little pet peeve, PSA, whatever you want to call it, but to the residents, if you have questions or concerns about programs being done in town, about the snow plows, about building, about a committee, don't go to Facebook. Go to the town website, look the information up, contact one of us, contact somebody at the town and you get all the answers you want. Speculating on Facebook on All About Franklin doesn't help anybody. It causes a lot of misinformation. It causes a lot of frustration. The volunteers that run that page get literally hundreds of requests a day that could be answered simply by referring somebody to the town website. 
So please, that's my little PSA for today. Just go to the town website or contact one of us and we'll get you all the information you need. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Thank you, Councilor Colby Ledger, Councilor Chandler. For you, Mr. Shannon. Um, just to follow up, um, Sue Cass mentioned uh, Generino Donafiero from the Roof Dog Park. Uh, we should probably get him in here and just say thank you. I, my dog is a snob now, she won't go down there, but <laughs> I, so I don't go and I didn't know he left. So, but he, uh, he's done a lot of work. <laughs> so, that's all. Um, lastly, since I am the pothole king of Franklin, um, there was a big pothole on Washington Street in front of Taft Drive. Yeah. When yeah. I had to pick up Yes, you did it. Oh, no. So, he's been notified. Can you let Brutus know that tomorrow? Thank you. You bet. Then I appreciate that. Thank you. I don't have any I don't have a Kyra, so I can't hit nothing yet. Councilor Pledger. He's your Uber driver. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Just want to thank everybody that was here tonight, you know, to speak and bring up some things, some that we really didn't want to hear, but we did hear, and hopefully we can do something about it now. Um, that's about it. I don't have any other comments. Thank you very much. Thank you, Councilor Pellegrini. Councilor Jones. Thank you, Ms. Chairman. Um, my only comment tonight is just a, a big thank you to Brutus, the DPW staff, the police, the fire department, and all the utility workers who have been working pretty much around the clock since January started this year on, on keeping our power on and getting our power back on and dealing with the snow and the ice. That January brought us. I know it's been kind of crazy, but those guys have been working tirelessly, tirelessly uh, to, to help us out. So I want to thank, give them a shout out. Thank you, Councillor Jones. Councillor Delarco. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, yeah, you know, um, this is the first winter in 40 years that I haven't been out in a snowstorm because of my injury. I get a little itchy looking out the back door and seeing the snow coming up. I like should be doing something, but uh, they say I'll get used to it. But, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, on another note on the same coalition, I think uh, COVID was just as surprised as I was the, uh, the other night at the board meeting was we've got something else thrown on our plate that some of these young kids now uh, gamble because of the online gamble. Uh, and they're getting fake phones, and I, I'm pretty sure you were just as shocked as I was. I was like, and because, well, because it's, you know, they, they get fake phones, but, I mean, they're, they're not calling Dominic down the street because he wouldn't let a 14-year-old bet, you know what I mean? So that's what they're running into. And because you've got to be 21 or 18 to, to bet, there's no support out there at all. So it's going to be thrown on off. It's going to be thrown on us. So I was just kind of, I just thought I'd mention that because I was kind of, mm -hmm. I was kind of shocked. I, you know what yeah. <laughs> So I think parents aren't quite ready to deal with it as an addiction. That's right. That's possible addiction that it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah, they think it's a game or a little, they'll be fine. But yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Councilor DeLarco. Uh, lastly, again, uh, just to reiterate a couple sure. of things. Uh, a big shout out to Public Safety and the DPW for a great job over uh, last weekend with the storm. And tonight, uh, Tina Powderly, all the volunteers, the Franklin Food Pantry, and uh, 
Deputy Town Administrator Amy Frigoletti did a great job in the presentation. The CIT team just goes to show when you put these people together what we can get accomplished from them, how we can help our residents that are most in need. And I'd like to thank both people for their presentations this evening because they were very informative, certainly. And I hope the community was listening. And uh, congratulations again to Fisher Franklin for mm -hmm. uh, the 50 year anniversary. So with that, I will entertain a motion to adjourn. So moved. Second. Non-debatable. Mm -hmm. All those in favor, signify by saying aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion we are now producing this in collaboration with Franklin TV and Franklin Public Radio. This podcast is my public service effort for Franklin, but we can't do it alone. We can always use your help. How can you help? If you can use the information that you find here, please tell your friends and neighbors. If you don't like something here, please let me know. Through this feedback loop, we can continue to make improvements. And I thank you for listening. For additional information, please visit franklinmatters.org. If you have questions or comments, you can reach me directly at suresteve at gmail.com. The music for the intro and exit was provided by Michael Clark and the group East of Shirley. The piece is titled Ernesto Manana, copyright Michael Clark and Tintype Tunes in 2008, and used with their permission. I hope you enjoy. By the way, you can also subscribe and listen to Franklin Matters Radio on your favorite podcast app. Search in podcasts for Franklin Matters.